And we are recording on Tuesday, November 15th, 210, Tuesday, November 15th, 2022 at 2.10 p.m. Eastern Time, episode 988 with Mr. Tony Lyons. And uh, you have already been initiated into uh, Tommy's podcast by virtue of the fact that I have canceled on you once, rescheduled on you a second time, and then been 10 minutes late, which means that you're in the inner circle. You've gone through the gauntlet. That's uh, That means you're a veteran. If you haven't been uh, canceled or flaked out on me, then you're not a real guest. And uh, with that unceremonious entry, Mr. Lyons, please introduce yourself, sir. Sure. I'm Tony Lyons from Skyhorse Publishing. Uh, we publish lots of books that have been, uh, or by authors who have been canceled or deplatformed or in some other way mistreated uh, or, you know, censored. Uh, so uh, one of those books is a book by Dr. Robert Malone called Lies My Government Told Me. And it's a spectacular book that sort of uh, tells the full breadth of what's been going on in this country as far as the real misinformation. So the word misinformation, like disinformation or malinformation or conspiracy theory or false narrative, or all of these words have been kind of weaponized to uh, confuse the public. So what they say is that they're trying to get rid of confusion, that they're trying to make it so that you can get real news. But what they're really doing is trying to make sure that you only get one narrative. Yeah. So they're cutting out the other side of the story. So misinformation becomes anything that contradicts a public health official, a government official of any kind, if it's about foreign policy, you know, anything that contradicts a really specific narrative. It is. And it's, it's a little disheartening to see how many people don't, don't see that. And I don't mean that in some nose up in the air, I'm awake and you're not sort of way, although I'm sure that's how it comes across. But I mean, I mean, just the idea that the government isn't lying. I mean, I'm 30, I'm 32. And I mean, I've known that since high school and I was, I'm no, I was no brilliant person amongst my friend groups. It was just kind of, you knew they were lying. You, you knew every corporation was lying. You knew every oil company was lying. I mean, we watched the invasion of Iraq. We watched 2008 go down and no one get arrested. We all voted for Obama and nothing happened. Like we all saw it. And so to me, it's just this weird, it's like that meme where it's like, my favorite conspiracy is how the CIA has been evil since 1947, 57, 67, 77, 87, 97, 2007. But recently, man, they're just the good guys. They're the home team. And right. it is, I mean, Orwellian, such a, it's such a cliche term now. But I mean, it couldn't be more clear that this it's it's when you see something online that says this has been fact checked, you know, it's good. You know this is the good stuff. When someone's been debunked, then you know it's correct. And um yeah. that seems to be the running narrative. It's misinformation. And we even saw the DHS leaks uh, from the intercept on October thirty first. They wanted to spread the disinformation, misinformation tags to not just vaccine mandates, but also information surrounding the abysmal withdrawal from Afghanistan, vaccine mandates, inflation, and even the border. And that is so in a way, it kind of makes your work easy for you. 
whatever they label misinformation, you go, there's our next client. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a crazy time because it's really anything that makes the government look bad or that makes a big corporation look bad. So, you know, I think it's fair to say that under President Biden, under Dr. Fauci, under all of these characters and, and all of this sort of government power, we've seen the biggest assault on freedom of speech in 200 years, that the power that these people have to censor and deplatform and, you know, put out propaganda and cancel people, I think would be the envy of any dictator in history. Oh, yeah. And, you know, my mission is to fight back against this. And, you know, when it comes to books, I mean, the, the censorship of books has just become a way to control what people think, what they do, what they read, the choices they make, what they watch. I mean, every aspect of our lives. And what's so brilliant on the one hand, but also so diabolical, is that for millions and millions of people in this country, they still want to brag about the freedom that we have in this country, because all of these sort of uh, mechanisms have become perfected. They've become so subtle and they've, they've become so incredibly um, unreasonable. So if you even look at something like uh, foreign policy, like we're, we're shocked when we hear that, you know, story after story of the fact that Russia might care who the next president is, that they, you know, that maybe there's a benefit to Biden suffering or Biden winning or, or that, that sort of thing. And what's, what's really fascinating there is that we're just kind of playing on people's fears and their hatreds. So when it comes to vaccines, we play on their fears. When it comes to Russia, we play on people's hatred. Um, but all the things that we accuse Russia of are things that we do, and we actually do it better. So you <laughs> talked about the CIA. Do you think there's any chance that the CIA is not actively trying to influence the outcome of elections in 100 countries? And they're doing it. And I'd say, like I said, much, much better. Do so, it better. So when the Russians, you know, when when we talk about the Russians deciding to pull their troops out of a certain territory at a specific time, because maybe it's not quite as good for Biden. That, I think, is sort of like, you know, it, it's almost like talking about blue collar crime versus white collar crime. You know, like we've done the same kinds of things, like the timing of uh, coming out and saying that the uh, Biden laptop is Russian misinformation right before an election where, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, three or four dozen former um, high level government yep. intelligence Oof. officials sign a document saying that it's definitely Russian disinformation. I mean, that in itself, I mean, that is election tampering. Oh, you yeah. know, the timing of that, it's so much more powerful. Do you think that Americans make decisions about who to vote for based on whether the Russians might uh, withdraw from a from a certain city? I mean, maybe it's a little bit beneficial to uh, Biden, but generally, I don't think that was one of the top 10 issues. But the Hunter Biden laptop, that's a major issue that calls into question 
specific statements that a candidate for president has been saying. Yeah. And, you know, what he knew and when he knew it and, and what his son was really up to and, and whether he was, you know, trading potential power for large amounts of money in a critical country, in, in the two most critical countries in U.S. foreign policy now, Ukraine and China. So, you know, that's a big issue. That's an important issue. And that might have changed the outcome of an election. So when you talk about tampering, I think people get can, confused by, like I said, fear and hatred. And anytime you can just bring up Russia and it, and it takes the focus off things that are really happening. Um, you know, it's like there's kind of a straw man argument against that. And it's what do I care what Hunter Biden did? Well, on one hand, there's the hypocrisy that if it was Donald Trump Jr., you would have burned down a city. But no, I do agree. I personally don't care. If Hunter Biden, what, if anything, I, I I kind of feel bad for him. I'm like, if you have an addiction, I'm like that. Maybe maybe I'm a maybe I'm a bit of a bitch, but I if I see someone with an addiction, I'm, I just feel bad for them. However, all that aside, that's not the thing I think most people care about. It's that he was on the board of Burisma and using his father's power to leverage massive contracts a salary and of course 10 percent to the big guy so to say what do you care about hunter byron that's a straw man argument i don't sure. care about his affairs he's an adult go do whatever you want i don't care about what my siblings do i don't care about what my old college roommates do you're an adult go whatever i'm not who the, who the hell am i to sit here and and cast and wag my finger um but, but you know the the point is there that that if he's really such an incredible drug addict and if you look at some of the pictures of him during that period, he looks really, really bad. Literal so crack you have pipes. To ask your, yourself, why on earth would a Ukrainian company, why on earth yes. would a Chinese company be paying hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to this kid who's obviously a wreck? Yeah. And the answer is he was he was peddling power. Yeah. And he was in in some sense selling the power of his father and the 100%. potential power of his father. A hundred percent. If if that isn't treason, I don't know what is treason. George H. W. Bush was an operator, World War II veteran. That guy was cut through it. You don't get to be the uh, director of the CIA by accident. I mean, that guy could kill you with a pencil and then make you apologize. George W. Bush is not getting into Yale or anywhere near the White House if his last name is not Bush. If his name's George W. Kerrigan, maybe he starts a podcast, best case scenario. He's not getting in with Rumsfeld and Cheney and Condoleezza, right. Condoleezza Rice. He ain't he ain't doing that if his last name isn't. So there is trading the power of your father's name. And that is that is treasonous. And then to have intelligence officials, again, I mean, it's almost like a dog eating its vomit and then it throws up and then it eats it again. And you almost want to grab it and be like, do you not understand what's happening here? I mean, 2003, it was 17 years prior to the 2020 election. Like my own generation. I mean, I remember we were 13, 14. We had bowl cuts and braces. And even then, even then in seventh grade, I remember... I remember, I literally remember being in, in Miss Sine's sixth grade class and my friends arguing, like, why are we going to Iraq? Like, 
We knew they were lying. Who maybe we were just brilliant middle schoolers. I don't think so. But to see them lie then and then 17 years later go, it's Russian misinformation. It's a sort of willful ignorance. Sure. And I mean, when I when I think of Iraq, I I I think of the the incredible um degree to which we got it wrong. So in in some sense, I mean, maybe we were trying to create chaos in the Middle East. I don't I don't really know. But it it, it seemed like on on the one hand, you had Rumsfeld saying that it was going to be the mother of all battles. Mm -hmm. And then you had other people saying that we were going to just plow through the country in in two days and that people were going to come out waving American Mm -hmm. flags. And there was no sense and there was no sort of news coverage of the fact that the Sunni and the Shia um, hated each other and that we would be unleashing one of the most, you know, one of the bloodiest civil wars that, you know, has taken place in, in modern times. And that Saddam Hussein, who to some extent was, you know, backed by the United States and yeah. at, at, at certain point backed entirely by the United States yeah. was, was actually keeping this civil war from happening. So he was the best hope in that country for a kind of uh, a steady state where people could actually get more and more rights. I mean, he was, you know, the most non-sectarian option there. So for us to take him out, you know, what were we really thinking and what sort of intelligence did we really have? So it it seems pretty clear that we made up the weapons of mass destruction side of it. Um, You know, so, you know, the disinformation that people in this country ought to fear isn't the disinformation or misinformation of an individual doctor or scientist like Robert W. Malone, uh, you know, who is, you know, I know him personally. I know that he's had an incredibly distinguished career. Mm-hmm. He was an internationally recognized virologist, immunologist, clinical research and regulatory, you know, expert. He worked on billions of dollars of federal contracts. So he's an incredibly, you know, uh, talented uh, senior scientist who was, you know, the, uh, you know, the inventor of the mRNA delivery and, and vaccination technology. So I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting that exactly right, but, you know, he was right in the middle of that whole period. And he was in a position to know much more so than Dr. Fauci or than President Biden or that any of the people who were, you know, telling us what to do. So then what you had is because he disagreed and only because he disagreed, he was totally deplatformed, taken off every uh, big tech platform, uh, Instagram, YouTube, um, Twitter, okay. you know, everything, LinkedIn. I mean, he he was, you know, they tried to make him disappear because they did not want him talking. So what people ought to be clear on is that if you have a better argument, if you can convince people in the marketplace of ideas, you don't need censorship. You don't need deplatforming. Why are people so afraid of Dr. Robert Malone? And the answer is 
not that he's going to put out misinformation, but it's that they can't operate at the level that he's at. So they can't debate with him. They mm-hmm. can't have a public dialogue. So if we really lived in a democracy, we would not be able to shut down somebody like him. We would not be able to shut down the ideas that are in this book, Lies My Government Told Me. We would have to have somebody get on television and convince us that these things are wrong and you know, prove to us that they're wrong, not just tell us, not just force us to do things. Yeah, it's... um. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's truth. It's like a lion. You you need not defend it. Just let it out of its cage. It will defend itself. And that's something it's, they're not, they're not scared. Well, they might be scared of Dr. Malone. He is brilliant and he is intimidating, but I mean, they are scared of the truth. He is a vessel for the truth, but the truth is, I mean, it's, it's like the quote, you know, if you're surfing the wave, you're not the wave, you're, you're on the wave. He's just a vessel for the truth. The truth is something it, it can't be torn apart. It just is. It it you can kill every astronomer that says the earth isn't flat. In time, it might take a year, it might take 10 years, it might take 5 centuries. You will be proven wrong. There will create satellites, they'll go up and you'll get high resolution imagery. Eventually the the church can't hold it down and it's I mean it goes back as it goes I mean, as far as I am aware of, it goes back to at least the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, the fighting against the the transition from priests saying the mass in Latin with their backs turned to the to the clergy versus saying it in English or saying it to them to, um, you know, putting the Bible out. You no longer need a middleman. You can interpret the word of God. You you dirty, unwashed peasant. You can interpret what the all loving deity means. And I no longer need to be your middleman. Or to the printing press, um, early pamphlets in the French Revolution. One thing they did was uh, in the French Revolution, they actually would use like uh, crude pornographic sketches on the covers because royalty wouldn't touch it. They would think it was below them, but the peasants would pick it up and then there would be like misinformation or, you know, anti-government information on the pamphlets. Sure. The The truth will, I mean, it's like rising water. You can build a dam, you can plug, it will find the opening. It will... There is no one water drop that's leading the charge. It's just, it's gravity. It's physics. It will find a way. It will find through the creep, or it will creep through the cracks. He just represents the truth, and he is a brilliant vessel for it, but it will come out, and you do get that. If you can't fight it, you have to censor it. You know, there's a reason why the the Koch brothers in the early 20-teens were so hell-bent on lobbying against solar panels being sold in in uh florida because there was no argument against it it's the sunshine state it's the sunshine state they and they knew that they knew their fossil fuels couldn't or their fossil fuel subsidies couldn't couldn't compete against it but that's what you have to do when you have nothing else you don't have to you don't have to argue against tom brady or for tom brady he's just gonna beat you you don't have to say Michael Jordan's actually not that great. He's going to jump from the free throw line with his tongue out and break the backboard. It's just, it's truth. No one eighth was ever like the opposable thumb is a better invent. It just was. You could pick things up and kill the other apes with it. It just is. No one has to argue that the shark is more lethal. It just is. And that being said, the very nature of who they are are weak men and weak women. 
So I also expect nothing less than full censorship. It's in their nature. Yeah. And, you know, when when you look at at some of the people, so you look at at, you know, Dr. Fauci and you see the way he operated during this whole period, that it was clearly all about money and power. So, you know, he he wasn't afraid of fighting Dr. Malone on his own terms because he had all the power. So he he could just use these tools that he had and he had incredible tools and incredible money at his disposal. So, you know, he would make comments. You know, he was he he felt that he had so much power and he actually did have so much power and it's it's sort of fading now but it's it's it, it's hard to know what happens next. Mm-hmm. But you know, one of his his comments that he made publicly was that his favorite book was The Godfather and that his favorite line in the book is um, it's just about business. It's not personal. Good Lord. So the idea that the <laughs> most powerful public health official in the world, that potentially the most powerful bureaucrat in history with the most money and the most PR people working for him, uh, you know, the biggest number of people at his disposal, that that, that person is telling us that he doesn't really care about people, that he doesn't really care about public health. What he cares about is business and money. And he comes right out and says it because he has, there's, he feels absolutely invulnerable. That there's nothing anybody can do to him because he doesn't have to debate anybody. He doesn't have to prove anything. He can tell the president of the United States what to do. He can tell the WHO what to do. And he can do all those things on behalf of, big pharmaceutical companies, which in some sense he's actually working for, and for all I know, might be getting paid, you know, might be getting money from. So it's an incredible period of just corruption at the highest levels of government. And these tools of censorship are just ways of protecting it. It's sort of like, it's it's like a military coup, but you don't have to kill anybody. You You don't have to even let anybody know that it's happened. You can use these incredible tools just to steer people towards specific ways of viewing things and steer people towards doing certain things or acting in certain ways or watching things or reading certain books. And 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 they've really perfected it. At the start of the pandemic, um, there was a pretty simple playbook against books that they didn't like, and that's that they would just take them down. Mm-hmm. So you would go on to Amazon one day and you would see it there. And you'd go on the next day and you just couldn't find it. And then essentially you couldn't find it anywhere. They were just taking books off the you know, internet. But that only lasted for a, for a short time because some pretty powerful people came out and, and highlighted that. One of them was Elon Musk came out and, and one of his friends had, had been deplatformed and had his book taken down. And he uh, I, I, the story that I've been told was that he called up Jeff Bezos and said, look, if you keep acting in this way, we're going to start a book pe- platform and go into competition with you yeah. and sell books that you're not willing to sell. And then miraculously, that friend of his had his books replatformed and they were, you know, they were, they were put back up and, and there were some Skyhorse titles that were taken down. So uh, we had done two books. 
that we thought was really, you know, ethical and and timely. So one of them was the case against wearing masks, and one of them was the case for wearing masks, because we figured we we have you know, 320 million people in this country who don't really know what to do. Sure. So you have Dr. Fauci saying, don't wear masks. Then he says, wear masks. And he tries to explain why he said that. He admits that he lied, but says he was trying to protect people. So we know he's the kind of guy who has no compunction about, about lying. We know that what he really cares about is money and business. So how do we know what to do, how to actually act? So a, a lot of people turn to books. And so what happened is we put those two books up and lo and behold, one day later, the case against wearing masks is taken down, totally disappeared from anywhere. And the case for wearing masks is right there and anybody can buy it. So you see then how can people make rational decisions if they can't get the information and people don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so if, if they've stripped every countervailing argument off the internet using bots to sort of locate um, combinations of words that seem anti-government in some way or seem, you know, against stated uh, U.S. policy with respect to COVID or foreign policy or whether or not a specific food is healthy or whether a pesticide is healthy. I mean, almost any area. The uh, Times had an article um, that was, you know, one of their few articles that I've really liked in, in recent months, but it, it, it pointed out that 75% of the FDA's budget came from the companies that it was supposed to be regulating. So there are all of these financial entanglements that make it so that the government, like I said before, is actually working for agribusiness is working for the pharmaceutical companies and not the other way around. So how can we make good decisions in our personal life? If the government isn't trying to protect us, they're trying to protect the companies that are trying to just extract as much money as possible from us. I don't mean to laugh. I, I laugh because it's so, it is so evil. And again, back to the, um, what they call misinformation is that's the truth. If they're fact-checking it, that means it's that which can't be fact-checked. There right. is something, and it's not funny because people have lost their lives and there's been billions of dollars of property damage. But in an abstract, I guess sort of demoralized way, it is funny that they put on uh, they put on black masks and scream, uh, you know, bash the fash. But this is... This is by definition fascism. I mean, oh, this is entirely fascism. I mean, this is but not even is a, not most, even a little bit. It is to a T. I mean, this is the most powerful form of fascism, and it and it comes right out of the book 1984, yeah. where it's hard to know what's going on. So right is wrong, wrong is right. Men are people women, are evil people good. are so confused because they're fed such a narrow narrative. And they don't then don't have the tools to think. I mean, even from a very young age, people are fed government misinformation so that they then grow up to be the kinds of people who just won't challenge anything that they hear. They feel they read it in the New York Times. They're probably 
investigative journalist looking into it. And the truth is that all of those newspapers, um, almost without exception, have been just co-opted mm -hmm. by the government and the government agencies have been co-opted by the companies that they're supposed to be regulating. So it's sort of like nobody is actually considering what's good for the American people. And we actually believe we have freedom, but we don't have freedom. We believe that people care about public health, but they actually don't. So what, what seems to be true and what you see all the way through this book, Lies My Government Told Me, is that they, Dr. Fauci and, and others working with him, were actively avoiding all kinds of good options that would have helped people, that would have led to less hospitalization, much lower rates of, of death. Um, but they did not care whether people were hospitalized or died. What they cared about was that they could sell the most expensive products to the largest number of people possible. So they didn't segment out um, whether they were certain people for certain reasons who shouldn't be vaccinated or shouldn't get a booster shot. There was no subtlety to it. So when the Surgeon General of Florida, Dr. Joe Latipo, mm -hmm. who wrote a book called Transcend Fear, when, when he came out and he said that, um, that healthy men from 18 to 39 definitely shouldn't take the booster shot because the risk of dying of a heart attack was much, much higher than the risk of dying of, of COVID. So even if the booster shot worked, even if you just, you know, which is uh, controversial in itself, but let's assume that it worked. He was saying that on balance, it was still a bad decision. And as soon as he said that, the entire power of the system came down on, on him. The New York Times wrote a hit piece. The Washington Post did. I mean, just mainstream media just kind of came down on him. And you see the same thing time after time after time. So, you know, Dr. Robert Malone got the same playbook that he disagreed. He thought that, you know, the mRNA vaccine was not tested. It was dangerous. It was not proven to even work, that the claims that they were making that it would fight uh, or, or that it would prevent you from getting COVID or preventing you from transmitting COVID were, were actually not true, that they were lies that the government was telling you, you know, all of these kinds of things. And he was saying them and he was saying them at his peril. So often when you look at who to believe, so you were saying to believe the people who are who are censored, who are fact-checked, because often those are the people who have the least power and who are doing something that's against their interests. So Dr. Malone was, you know, perfectly able to toe the line and to not take any risks and to get really, really well paid for it. So he was acting against his own interest. Dr. Fauci was amassing millions and millions of dollars as the highest paid public official in the United States, making more money than the president, and then also getting royalties as a government employee, getting royalties 
from vaccine companies, from pharmaceutical companies. You know, so you have little wonder why he would say there's no early treatment that's helpful. There's no unpatented drug that could possibly be helpful because there's no money to be made on those things. So he steered the whole country towards vaccines. The only way that you can be safe from COVID is to get a vaccine. He goes on national television and he says, if you get vaccinated, you can't get COVID and you can't transmit COVID. So, you know, in what reality does he get to say that? The president gets to say that. The head of Pfizer gets to say that. Uh, Rachel Maddow gets to say that 20 times in one just sort of rant on her show. Um, you know, the WHO gets to say it. And it's an absolute lie. And it's proven to be a lie. They don't have to apologize. They don't re-platform any of the people who were actually right. There's no sort of uh, reconciliation of what actually happened. And they're still getting to make the decisions about public health for us when they were wrong about everything. It's <clears throat> It kind of makes me think and this is an odd analogy, but I have to find the silver lining in this stuff. One, I think I'm just hardwired to find a to find a path to victory but two for my own like mental health i have to find an optimistic meaning to it and how we can create good from it and i kind of i got a baptism by fire with that i lost an older brother to suicide in 2014 i've been forced to find a a reason for that right and sure that's that's a meant that's also a mental health defense mechanism right it's your brain trying to protect you i get that i'm not i'm not ignorant of that but i have to and i have and it's been through helping other people helping friends helping them get therapy recognizing the signs of a suicidal person i have to make it so that his death wasn't in vain for myself to just be a better person that's why i moved up to new england is to be closer to family because i know what it's like that family isn't always going to be there so i say that to say this is kind of like this is like that was like the crucible over the last eight years that has kind of formed who I am now, at least the majority of who I am now. So I have to find the silver lining to this. And the only thing I can think of is this. There's really two things. One is, and this is a bit of an odd analogy, but the F-117 Nighthawk, a stealth bomber, started being developed in 1979 it was a special access program it was the first plane that really couldn't be detected by radar it was massive and it had the radar cross-section of a bb we wanted to use that casper weinberger the secretary of defense under reagan wanted to use that i'm oh, sorry somebody under him wanted to use that to bomb Gaddafi. he eventually stepped in and called it off and they're all up in arms like what are you talking about this is a high value target we want to go take them out these things don't get detected by even our radar let alone the russians or the soviets and he said no i don't want to waste this on Gaddafi, because then the soviets will know this exists and although once they find out it exists it will still take five years or so for them to create a radar that works and can detect it i don't want to use this trump card i would rather wait until because inevitably they thought the Cold War would go nuclear. I want to be able to use this. I want to keep that that essence of surprise. So we called it off. And they said, well, what will happen is, is if we go and get Gaddafi, we're going to have to use conventional planes, and he might evade it. And they said, that's a loss we're willing to take. We went and tried to bomb Gaddafi. I don't know the exact date. It was sometime in the 80s. 
he did his radar didn't he detect the non-stealth planes he got away however the soviets still didn't know about our stealth now ultimately the cold war never went hot thank god but we were using that in case we needed it we didn't want them to even know it was there we by the time they knew it was there we wanted it to be over their cities bombing them now let's say we didn't do that and we used it to take out Gaddafi. And then maybe we took out another leader. Let's say we, whoever. The Soviets now know that thing exists. We're playing whack-a-mole with it. And the real power of the mallet that you're using to play whack-a-mole with is the fact that no one knows that you have a mallet. It's hiding in the dark. This suppression machine, none of this is new. But what COVID has done is it's revealed it. They've had this... The, the back-end portals that the DHS has had through Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Reddit, Facebook, that's not new. We're finding out about I mean, it came to the news about 16 days ago. We're finding out about it now. The things we're finding out about Fauci and the, the deep rot between the FDA, the CDC, the WHO, all the Ivy Leagues and Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, Bayer, whatever, Sanofi Adventus, we're just now seeing that. So when they reach out and they use the ban hammer on Alex Jones and then on Miley Yiannopoulos and then on sitting president Donald Trump and then Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, and they start using it on everyone, the ban hammer has now been seen. And that brings me to my second point of optimism. So what do you do once you've seen the stealth bomber? You know, we have got to start sinking our rubles into making new radar systems. That, to me, is what we have seen with the creation of, or at least the maturity, maturing of Rumble, BitChute, Odyssey, Brighteon, CloudHub, even Spotify. Spotify's kind of sensory, but they're toeing the line. You're seeing these variants, to use you know a pun, be driven by these selection forces. So... As evil as this all is, and it's evil, and as you said earlier, and it's something I often say, it's diabolical, but you got to respect it. It's it's genius. As genius as their machine is and as evil as it is, they've had to use it, and they used it on Qaddafi. But now we've seen it, and we're seeing what they're capable of, and we're seeing what they're willing to And you might think, well, they're not actually going to like suppress early treat maybe they'll show their product but they won't actually suppress ivermectin and hydroxy oh they will they'll let a million americans die oh holy shit the mask has fallen off and who knows maybe it is my intrinsic optimism but i have to find a reasoning for it because i'll go insane if i don't and i do think that there is reason you and i wouldn't be doing this podcast otherwise i wouldn't have gotten to know dr malone otherwise I wouldn't be involved in COVID at all if I just wasn't censored. So I know that's kind of my own soapbox motivational speak, but speech, but I do think there is value in what has happened because resilience has been built around it. We still have a long way to go, but this never would have even started three years ago, November, 2019. Have you ever heard of bit shoot then? Anyone ever heard of rumble? No. Dr. Malone's just, maybe if you're in the medical field, you might know him. I don't know who the hell Dr. Malone is. I mean, I think I know Carl Malone from the NBA. Like, but now we're seeing it. And to me, there's value in that. We learned from it. 
So that's my little motivational speech, but. No, but that's a great point. And, you know, when you look at all the people who have been censored and deplatformed and you look at, you know, doctors like Malone, (laughs) Pierre Corey, writers like, you know, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you have all of these powerful people and, and some of them, and it was certainly true of Malone and McCullough and, and uh, Pierre Corey too, but many, many others. Um, you know, people like Dr. Joe Latipo, like I said before, mm-hmm. the, the Surgeon General of Florida. So all of these people have been subjected to the same playbook. Every one of them has gotten uh, some form of a hit piece in either the New York times or vanity fair or some combination of the Washington post so that it's, it's clear that they're all kind of working together with this playbook um, to keep the American public from getting certain kinds of information. And like I said before, using all of these weaponized terms. Um, So when that happens to you, I don't think there's ever going any going back. So I think that, you know, if somebody like Dr. Malone winds up being the Surgeon General or winds up, you know, in a position of power in the future, he will remember this period. And it, it's transformed him as much as this period has sort of um, or, or as much as he's kind of transformed and um, um turned into the kind of person who's really going to fight for justice, who's really going to dig deeper. And, you know, there were far fewer people willing to do that before this period. And now there are all of these people who have woken up, all these really powerful and talented people who are willing to devote their lives to making sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. And there are literally tens of millions of people in this country who now question the government narrative, the statements that come out of the government, the things that the CDC says, the things that Dr. Fauci has said, and the things that come out of the system that Dr. Fauci has set up and a a system that will clearly survive him leaving. So I think people are much more awake and there are all of these alternative platforms that you mentioned and there's, you know, Joe Rogan with 11 million people listening to him versus any TV show that has, you know, you know, the biggest, most powerful shows now have 3 million or 3.5 million. So people are, are tired of being told what to think. They're tired of being lied to by their government. And, you know, if you read Dr. Robert Malone's book, if you read about, you know, the lies and if you, you know, read it carefully and think about it and look at his substack each day, you will really begin to see what's happened. And then I think you'll be much less likely for the rest of your life to believe things just at face value that, you know, there's a chapter in there on the New York Times and on all the different forms of censorship that come out of the New York Times. And what's fascinating there is that it, at one point, the New York Times is right in the middle of of running hit pieces after, you know, writer and scientist after doctor and 
you know, lawyers, just anybody who disagrees, like they're just getting this uh, direction from somebody, maybe from Dr. Fauci, maybe from some PR company, but they're just doing the same thing to each person. And then we tried to place an advertisement for a book called The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And they wouldn't accept the ad. They ran a hit piece against the author. It was the best-selling book in the country that week. And they listed it as number five. They took their own book, which was called The 1619 Project. And they listed that as the number one New York Times bestseller. So that was about a narrative that they like. It was written by somebody who works for the New York Times. And it was about a project that was funded by the New York Times. So you see, you know, that's the real disinformation. And that then goes out. That's the paper of record. And a and hundred other newspapers and websites just repeat what they say, see there. Um, so the idea that the number one bestseller isn't the number one bestseller. It's whatever they want it to, to, to be. I mean, you know, Alex Jones um, wrote a book for us called The Great Reset. Mm -hmm. Um, in its first week out, that was the number one bestseller in the country. It sold 56,000 copies. The number one New York Times bestseller that week sold 34,000 copies. And when I asked the Times what had happened, they, they, they said, well, they just look at the numbers that they get and they left it there. So I said, <laughs> so it has nothing to do with the fact that it's Alex Jones. And they said, absolutely nothing, nothing at all. Nothing. So then, then the Washington Post called the New York Times for a, for a story and said, hey, Skyhorse is claiming that um, that Alex Jones's Great Reset um, outsold any other book this week. Um, what do you have to say there? And they said, we just look at, at the numbers. Mm -hmm. Then the Washington Post called NPD BookScan that actually tracks sales of books in the United States. And NPD BookScan verified their portion of the sales at 32,000 copies, which would have at the very least made it the number two book in the United States for that week. And then the Washington Post asked them, did you get any reports of bulk sales, any reason to exclude uh, this book from a bestseller list? And they said, absolutely not. And every other place made it a bestseller uh, for the week. But the Times didn't make it number one, didn't make it number two. It wasn't even number 15. And the number sold of number 15 for that week was 3,400 copies, one fifteenth of what Alex Jones's book sold. So, you know, when you see the same thing happening for other books, um, you know, you, you should, like you were saying, recognize that when somebody is deplatformed, it's often because they're telling the truth. It's often because they have information that powerful people, powerful companies don't want the world to have. Again, we're seeing their stealth bomber. There's just another one we saw. New York Times does, and that's something I figured out a couple of years ago, and I was blown away. I was like, do you know the New York Times bestseller actually has nothing to do with best? Like, I remember learning... It's like how uh, I think it was McDonald's had that like subsidiary companies in the early 2000s and it was called right. Real Beef Trademark, but it wasn't right. actually the name of the company was Real Beef. So it's like if I uh, it's like if I created a gasoline company and called it and called the gasoline company electric 
They'd be like, oh, this thing takes electric. And it's like, it takes diesel. The company is electric. It's by that fraud, Tommy Kerrigan. Like, but there's just another thing. And although it's bad, and I'm not saying it's good, what is good is there's another one you saw. And for, right. and what you have to remember is, is everything is censored, right? All the major forums, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, Twitter, YouTube, whatever. TikTok's Chinese. So, I mean, just inherently it is. So you're not going to see people talking about this. You're going to see censorship. And then you're going to see censoring of people discussing censorship. So you have to remember that fact. And if you recognize something and go, oh, they're full of shit. You have to understand that the majority of people are also seeing that. It's just that when I would get banned from YouTube, I would upload a video and it was like a screenshot of my banning. And then I would get banned for that. So the fact that this is all happening and then you go, well, how come nobody's talking about this on Reddit and Facebook? They are. They're getting banned, which is just another. They're showing the stealth bomber. Did you know I got banned for saying that the New York Times bestseller isn't actually you? It is it is an inescapable self-accelerating feedback cycle of of making people aware of the machine that exists and. I can't see how that's a bad thing. I don't know how else you would actually bring it into light. If you just came out five years ago and said the Department of Homeland Security is actually using all these social media companies as a form of puppet so they can violate the First Amendment and Big Pharma is in the pocket of, you'd be like, shut up, dude. But And even me, who loves conspiracies, I would have been like, shut up. And now that's common knowledge. You, right. you go to YouTube and they got rid of the dislike button. Nobody's stupid. Everybody knew what that was for. When you go and you see the comments are turned off for a video about uh, Maricopa County elections. Why is that? How come no one's people aren't stupid? A lot of people are stupid, but people are starting to look at it and go, this is this is off. And sure. I mean, when when uh, Pfizer says that they don't want you to be able to look at their clinical trial data for. <laughs> 55 of a century, yeah. 75 years. Anytime a company or the government is arguing to, to keep something from the public for a long time, you have to wonder why, why well, that would be true. You know, why, why do we need our elected officials to keep the truth from us? Yeah. You know, I mean, that kind of secrecy, even if it's not to go back to the word diabolical, um, you know, what's the possible excuse for it? You know, we want to be able to get information. So, you know, that's the beauty of Robert Malone's book, Lies My Government Told Me, you know, is that he's really focused on what's happened and that you cannot trust this government, this administration, this fake fight against censorship and disinformation that every piece of this has been fake and it's been used to direct what people do, think, read, watch, like I said before. But the important thing, like you were saying, is the better future coming. And I think that Dr. Robert Malone is really focused on the better future coming. And, you know, what's incredible about his story is that he's not a radical. He's not an no. outsider. No, he's a mainstream uh, almost like a public health figure 
in, in that he's been so involved in so many different areas. He's the perfect spokesperson. TV shows ought to be begging him for commentary. The New York Times should not be running hit pieces against him written by people who aren't even scientists themselves. They, they get investigative journalists to look at people like him and just try to find anything bad they can say without debating him on anything. So the American public clearly, by going to all of these different platforms and, you know, by um, just showing that they're tired of being forced and they want to be convinced, are dying for somebody like Dr. Robert Malone to actually tell them things that he believes. So he says himself, he doesn't know the absolute truth. There is no absolute truth sure. in science. Science is a process. Science requires disagreement. It requires dissent. And, you know, that's what having people like him on the air explaining things to the American public in a way that isn't just propaganda, that, that, that isn't made just to answer all questions, but to actually tell you honestly where the science is, where the real science is not the corporate science, not the science that benefits Dr. Fauci or somebody else or, you know, some globalist narrative, um, but science that's really geared towards using the best information we have to protect people. It's a, there couldn't be a better spokesman because he is so soft-spoken and uh, he uses his words so carefully. And then the awesome beard also helps as well. Yeah. And, you know, I have published lots of books by people who are extreme and who are trying to be extreme. And he is really mainstream. He is really what the mainstream ought to be. And so it's extreme to lie to the American people. That's that's what extremism really is. That's what domestic terrorism really is. But when you have the domestic terrorists in the government, when you have them at government agencies, when they're supposed to be regulating and protecting us. Um, but in fact, they're doing things uh, like, like you were saying, like ignoring early treatments. You know, that's, that's really criminal. If, if there's oh, yeah. a possibility that somebody could have been saved by using ivermectin, and we have a system where every newspaper comes out and every TV show comes out, and they call it a horse dewormer, and you know, um, and, and they treat that drug as if it was something really dangerous to people, even though the facts are, and they're really easy to 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 find, and they were easy to find, but not you know before COVID came along, um, but not easy to find online after it did. So there are literally hundreds of millions of people in this country, and not, not in this country, in, in the world, many of them in this country, many of them in Africa, many of them in other countries who have taken ivermectin for decades. And the person who invented it won the Nobel Prize for that. And it was primarily meant for people. And there's a different version of it that, that is meant for, for livestock. But so that was another one of those crazy lies that the government and every big tech platform and every news venue at the time was telling the American people. Um, and, you know, they, they, they told it to us and we accepted it at our peril. You know, people actually died 
because they could not get early treatments that could have helped them. And there, there are, you know, lots and lots of peer-reviewed studies showing that ivermectin is safe, it's effective, and to my knowledge, there, there aren't any out there saying that ivermectin is actually harmful to people, even if it's taken kind of prophylactically uh, by, by the entire population. So the only reason to try to falsely claim that it was this dangerous drug meant for horses is to steer people once again towards the specific narrative, get your vaccine, get your booster shot, pay as much money as you can you know, possibly be made to pay um, and create you know, this incredible transfer of wealth. Um, but you know, like I said, from what I can tell and from what is explained in lies my government told me, um, it was never, ever about public health. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's one thing to push the vaccine on people, knowing that it's injuring at a much higher rate. It is a, a whole nother monster when you look at the number of people that were died, not from the sin of commission of pushing a vaccine that's harmful, but from the sin of omission, from saying you cannot use ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. That right. I thoroughly believe that will we will look back in the, at this as a crime against humanity. I mean, the vaccines are bad enough, but they don't hold a candle to not. It's one thing if I push a faulty fire extinguisher. And it's like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's bad enough. But if I'm like blocking off the roads and not letting fire trucks get to your flaming building because I only want you to use mine, that's a whole nother monster. And um, I I know where I stand on this. I know where Dr. Malone stands. I know where you stand. And to me, I'm like, I'm, I'm acting and doing interviews now with having in mind how I will be viewed in 30 years. And I, I know where I stand and I don't want to regret anything. And, you know, I know I'm in good company. Um, I was going to say uh, he uses a uh, a great example in the book. And I forget what the name of it's like a theorem or something. But he says when you, you know, read, let's say, the New York Times, just whatever, any any fictional newspaper. And you see something that you're an expert in. Let's say I'm an expert in podcasting. I'm not, but let's just say I am. And I see something that's patently false. And, you know, let's say the article is like, you don't even need to own a microphone. I'd be like, that's not true. How are you going to record your voice? You then turn the page and you don't question the next story. That's about something you aren't an expert in, the war in Ukraine, inflation. And he goes, there's this weird disconnect where we see that they're lying. But then once we go to a new page about a topic we don't know, the Amazon rainforest, we just assume they're telling the truth and they might be doesn't mean that they are lying, but you now have precedent to think that they're lying to you. And I think above all else, that is what COVID has done is people are going, they just lied about this through and through. What are the real inflation numbers? What's the real amount of aid we're sending to Ukraine? What's the real number of uh, border crossings? What's the real number of adverse events? I think that's what we're seeing. And I, again, I do think overall that's a good thing. How else, how else would this have unfolded? There's no other way in which you would. The, the people either stay awake and the elite 
grow to such a place of power that they can strangle the populace in their sleep or you wake up. And then the third option is violent revolution. Slowly waking up is probably the best case scenario. It doesn't seem great, but in hindsight, the Cold War went about as well as it could have gone. All things considered, it wasn't great. Vietnam, Korea, all the proxy wars. But seeing as how it could have gone to thermonuclear Armageddon with an irradiated planet and a nuclear winter for 10,000 years. Hey, you know, capturing KGB spies, that was best case scenario. So I have to look at how the last three years have unfolded. It's best case scenario. And I know that's a kind of a weird take, but that's my take. Um, but to sort of uh, to to wrap this podcast up, what day is this book coming out? Is it has it come is it coming out this week? Did it come out last week? Have I butchered that? No, no, no. It's uh, it, it's due to come out December sixth. Oh, okay. So well, you I'm... can pre-order it now. Um, and uh, you know, and I and I really do think that this is one of the books that people are going to remember during this period. That that they're going to look at at Dr. Robert Malone as one of the people who, who stood up, who spoke out, who fought back, uh, you know, at a time when that was not the best financial decision to make. It was not the thing that was going to make him the most popular, uh, though in, though in certain circles, it, it, it definitely has like you pointed out, but, but I, but I think that he's going to be a spokesperson for, for sanity in public health, you know, for the rest of, of his life. Yeah. And like like you said, you know, that's that's part of the better future coming. And that's part of the the benefit of this terrible period where so many bad things happen to so many good people. Um, is that so many people have woken up and that people like him have become motivated and activated to to fight for as long as they're able to to really have a, a world that's free and open and public health that's run by people who care about human health. So I think, you know, that, that is a good place to start. And, and that is a hopeful uh, place to end uh, here that, that there are all of these people who have withstood the most powerful blowback that has ever been possible in history, where the, tools that were used and the money and the power that was exerted um, didn't knock them down. You know, it didn't knock you down. It hasn't knocked me down. It hasn't knocked Robert Malone down and so many other people who are going to fight until the very end. So I think that that, that really is hopeful and that really is the silver lining. Absolutely. I was, I was lucky enough to have been able to read the book. Um, and I will, I will put the link for the pre-order in the description Obviously, I can't put his Twitter in there because he's banned. I'm banned from Twitter, too. We're actually uh, posting a link with Dr. Malone. So figure wow. we're all in the band pot together. Um, so I'll post his getter and Gab and Substack and website and all that great stuff. I'll also post uh, your book company. And um, thank you so much, man. It was a fantastic book. And you're a great guest. You're not you're out. You're, you're generally a good guest. Sometimes I have to pull teeth that you're a chef's kiss. You're, you're a great guest. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. I'll send you this when it's up. It'll be up sometime this evening. Go grab the book, everybody. Thank you so much, Mr. Lyons.